Profess Error, the podcast where we celebrate life in academia through the failures we've experienced, not to celebrate the ways in which we fell down, but the ways in which we've gotten back up. In this episode, we sit back down with Professor Catherine Madsen, but unlike our last chat where we focused on teaching, here we focus on some of the challenges and lessons learned with starting up a new research program during your first year as a faculty member. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Profits Error. We've got part two of our discussion with Professor Katie Madsen from Iowa State University. In our last discussion, we focused on teaching, some of the challenges, some of the opportunities, some of the successes uh, that come with starting up a new faculty position and, and starting up in this strange time of the sort of remote everything pandemic era. Uh, today, we want to shift gears and, and talk not just on teaching, but more on research, uh, which is kind of the other half of our professional lives uh, Katie, I got to believe starting up a research group and, and publishing and grant writing and all of these kind of challenges, especially in this current environment, has just been probably even more challenging than the already challenging environment that presents itself to a first semester faculty. Maybe before we dive into all the specifics, I'd just be interested to hear your overarching kind of takeaways from a first semester. How did it go? What were some of the thoughts you had on starting up a research program? Absolutely. So... Some of the biggest challenges this semester were finding um, requests for proposals that were out there. You know, funding agencies, because of COVID, everything shut down and they're just, there's no money in the pots. So that's been one of the biggest challenges. And then also recruiting grad students that can make it into the country with all of these flight restrictions that we have um, and international restrictions. Those are definitely the two biggest challenges. Yeah. So why don't we kind of go piece by piece and unpack these in, in detail, because I think these may be interesting to the, the listeners, um, either if they're going through it now or just in lessons learned for what they might expect, because some of the challenges you're hitting, I think, are, are going to be present, whether or not there's a pandemic, but certainly in the current environment are exacerbated. So let's talk maybe first about uh, targeting some proposals and getting some grant money in. This, I think, can be a challenge for a lot of folks starting up. What has been your strategy as a new faculty, have you gone for small grants? Have you tried to swing for the fences and get a multi-million dollar center? Like what, what have you been doing? Have you gone, gone at it alone, partnered with others? You know, what's been the strategy? Absolutely. So I have not gone after any alone yet. Uh, always partnering. I think that something I didn't get a lot of during my graduate career or actually any of was exposure to grant writing. Yeah. Uh, we didn't, we didn't focus on that just because my advisor was on his own track for writing grants and I was just trying to graduate, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and I sort of went into the deep end on the grant writing. I had one do that I thought, I personally thought aligned really well with the experiences that I had in graduate school. And it was a uh, federal grant and I applied for it with two coworkers here who were very supportive, but also have families and were quarantined and, you know, didn't really have the time to support me in my very first ever grant. So I went at it alone and I did my best and they got a review on there, but it was, you know, looking back at it, I thought it was great and it was not great. And I can already <laughs> tell that now, six months later. Yeah. Um, but when I... After I submitted it, 
about a couple months later, I got a debrief on it. Okay. And one comment that I was not prepared for was that it sounded like three people wrote my grant. To be clear, mm. I wrote my grant. So I apparently have a hidden talent where I can sound like three people. Um, <laughs> talent I'll probably need to exploit at some point in my future, but don't know how that one happened. So that was a comment I wasn't prepared for. And, you know, when you're going through that debrief, it's difficult to hear yeah. everything you did wrong and yep. to just literally have your fail failures listed out one by one in front of yeah. you when you think what you're doing is right. Mm -hmm. So, and it's hard not to get defensive because you think you did something. And then the way it was perceived by them is not the way you thought it would be perceived. Hey, Katie, I have a question for you. So first of all, I don't know whoever your advisor was, he or she, <laughs> I guess, did, did not do a very good job of preparing you for the real world. Um, so that's definitely something we'll have to investigate for, further later. Sidebar for the listener. Let's just remind. So, so Brian Franz was, <laughs> if you if you missed the last one, Brian Franz was Katie Madsen's advisor at, uh, several years ago at Florida. Yeah, we'll, we'll investigate that one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess the question for you, um, that's because I've never gotten that comment before about, you know, sounds like multiple people writing it when it wasn't multiple people writing it. So I guess the question to you was, did you write that like over a period of, you know, multiple weeks and did, did you write it in chunks and come back to it? Or is it just you wrote it at once and just be curious to how that happened, I guess. I think two reasons. It happened for two reasons. The first is that it was three co-PIs on it and we were all equal time. So that created a perception that we were all contributing to the grant writing equally. Uh, the second reason was not that I wrote it in different time segments. I actually started this grant before I was formally um, employed here at Iowa State because it was due 15 days after I started. I never written a grant. I know how slow of a writer I am. I know that the process of developing an idea is time consuming. So it's not that I stopped and came back to it, but I developed the ideas sort of individually because there were three things they were looking for and I don't think I tied them together very well. Hmm. Yeah. That's I feel a like lesson to learn there. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that, 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 that lesson will apply. I feel like to a lot of grants because I definitely, I've hit a similar types. I haven't gotten that exact feedback, but I definitely got similar types of problems in early grants of, yeah. Oh, I need a piece on this. Well, I'll just bolt that on here. Right. And, and it felt like, Kind of like you're getting the critique of it, you know, it's just like I designed a proposal by committee and there are just all right. these little like individual thoughts and it didn't feel like one thing. Hmm. I I tend to think though, Katie, for, for what it's worth, like the way what you're describing aligns almost exactly with what I recall in my first proposal that didn't get funded. But I also think the way you're reacting to it is exactly what you need to do to get better. Um, I know my initial reaction was what you described, which is kind of, well, what, well they didn't read this. Well, well, I said this. Well, I did this right. Well, they didn't. Once you kind of get past that and you can say, okay, maybe I could be better. And you're willing to own that opportunity for improvement. It's tough to get that feedback. Uh, we actually talked about this on an earlier podcast, but I think at least that kind of blunt feedback is probably the best thing for you because it is hyper tailored to you and this is your work reviewed by a lot of experts and this is what they've said about you specifically and so it's you know it's it's rough but 
I think I think that's actually going to be really good for long term. It is. It's hard to get your ideas shot down. You know, in academia, our ideas are our identity. Everything. So true. Yeah. It's, well, that... and, and also, you know, you said one of the things you said in, in your in your um, story of this a minute ago is you said, I put all this time into it and I kind of thought it was great. But then you alluded to I know now that it wasn't. But going from I think it's great, which you do honestly think at the start to I know it's now it's not the sort of the difference there, the drop in sort of your perception of your own professional worth there is kind of crushing for a lot of people because it's just like I've never worked so hard. I've never done something so good to then subsequently hear this is really not at all what we're looking to find. That's that's a tough, you know, a tough hit. But um, I think I think the extreme majority of us go through it. So for what it's worth, you're not alone. Yeah. It's just this trying to combine the expectations that you have for what you're saying and the way it's going to be construed mm-hmm. and the feedback that you get and what they're expecting out of this proposal that you're going to get, trying to merge those two feels like a very arbitrary goal as a new grant writer. I think, I think I know which funny agency you're talking about because I think you had talked about, talked about it with me over the summer. Um, For that one in particular, I know that you really need to rephrase what they wrote in the call and say it back to them. Mm. Like, and and I say rephrase, and that's kind of, I say that liberally, you may as well just say it word for word back to them. And, and so it shows that you're satisfying this very specific requirements that, that they often have. Um, I just, for, from folks that I've talked to that have submitted to similar calls, that's sort of been the recommendation as well. And I think that rephrasing of things is not something that we're used to. You know, our ideas are new and what we're putting out is new. And it feels like I'm copying somebody else's idea to rephrase Mm -hmm. it back in the grant. And that's taking some getting used to. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because part of it is your idea, right? Like the the new portion of it's your idea. But the framing of the problem and, and their, the understanding of the problem is kind of theirs in the way that they wrote that document. And so y- you need to be on board with their version of the problem. And so I, I, I wouldn't feel bad about, you know, rephrasing or simply restating exactly back to them in their own words what what the problem is that they're trying to address. Yeah, I, I actually, I think you're right, Brian. I, I think there's, though, also a skill to that that is not natural or intuitive. The way of taking their words and framing or organizing the same sets of words and the same kind of structure in a manner whose logical outcome is your idea, right? Like, that's a that's a strange skill to have of basically saying, you wanted this. I came up with this other probably tangentially developed kind of concept, but I'm going to write it in a way that says your idea is the perfect alignment with my idea. And if only these two could go together, what a, what a world we'd have. You know, that's that's a strange kind of way to write initially. And so, Katie, what you're saying, I'm glad you're bringing it up because this is something I think Brian and I maybe just didn't – we kind of forgot to bring up in the, in the first – in the earlier episodes because it's been a little while. But that's a really good point that I, I think – you know, you're not alone in that kind of, yeah, this is a strange audience to write to, you know, a, yep. a review panel. And Brian mentioned something earlier is that every 
panel that you're writing to every agency, you write to them differently. They yeah, don't yeah. have the same what they're looking for, how they want to hear it or how much of something to include or not to include. Right. Well, and this is I, you're absolutely right. This is why some people, I think um, you'll talk to at conferences or what have you. They'll have success with one type of funding agency yeah. and they'll get frustrated with another because I will say, well, this one doesn't do this. This one does. And, and it's it's what you just said. It's well, no, that agency's doing what they do. You just have to write to their language or their structure yeah. or their whatever they're expecting because you're right. I mean, they all have a different way of evaluating quality and what they'll fund. Absolutely. Why don't we talk a little bit um, about some of the collaborations you've had? I know um, we've talked about some of the challenges that come with a um, first proposal, which you've, uh, we appreciate your, your candor in presenting. Um, but you're also, uh, while you're very typical in that regard, you're a little atypical in the fact that you've actually had success in getting some funding in the first semester, which I will say on my end, I certainly did not. I took several semesters before I ever saw a dollar. What was your process for collaborating with others? How'd you find people? Like, how did you approach this? Because you're a new person. You know, you probably didn't know these people well. What was your strategy for finding others? And, and how did it eventually lead to some success? Well, two things with what you said. First, I'll answer your um, collaborators thing. First and foremost, I ended up in a phenomenal department with amazing people to work with. And some departments, I think, tend to be a little bit more siloed in their way they approach research, whereas my department really focuses on those collaborations and, and making sure that everybody is aware of what's out there. And if people want to build up those collaborations together, we support that. We've even started a monthly meeting where we talk about grants that are coming out and what we're going after and look and see if we have the ability to collaborate. But there's only like five of us in our little group. So that does help a lot. That's a good idea, though. I mean, just, so just the, having a yeah. time on the calendar to just go. I think that that makes sense. Logistically, it seems like that's possible because of the size of the department. I feel like larger departments, that would be harder to do. But with like five, it's pretty easy to coordinate five people's time to get them together for 30 minutes or something it's yeah and it's not our whole department it's more of our focus group in our department just to be yeah. clear our department's not just five people um so that was the first source of collaboration and then at a conference i met somebody actually through my advisor brian she and i have gone after applied research we're going after nsf research and continually trying to build new topic areas that are at a, a, a convergence of our areas. I'm mm -hmm. curious then. So I, I, I don't, I won't ask for the name if, if we don't want to, I saw the chat, but I, I won't ask for the name if we don't want to share, but I, I will ask because I think for the listener, this matter, how did you pick someone though? Like, like there are so many factors that could influence a collaborator. Did you just get along well? Did you have a similar type of humor? Did you find, Oh no, this, this expertise is exactly what I need. Is the, ambitions similar to you like what were the factors that made you say this is a person I can work with yeah so it's interesting I've had a progression so I started in my department and then I started with this woman who's again in architectural engineering and we connected through my advisor but we just sort of hit it off as people I've seen her at two conferences um first time we hung out very socially and the second time um I was applying for jobs and she just sort of 
started her, she was in her first year of her job. So we're both new, we're both eager, driven, and we just click, for lack of a better term. And she's been pivotal to my growth as a grant writer and as a researcher just in this first semester. And and I think part of that is is because of the friendship that comes along with it. Yeah. But as we've continued to pursue more and more grants, we're now looking at a, a planning grant for National Science Foundation. <laughs> and it's a very convergent research topic. And I have reached out to so many strangers with this one pager that you put together for NSF. And, you know, it's my idea and I'm throwing it out to people hoping they'll bite. And they do. I have gotten <laughs> a response from every single person that I've emailed willing to collaborate and of course the less work they have the more willing they're going to be to collaborate right it's a small grant it's not a lot of work for them Uh, but but the people that ended up coming onto the team have been really interactive and and supportive and providing feedback to me as a new grant writer and i sort of i don't know if this is my personality but i always sort of feel this burden of when I work with these full professors and and these associate professors, and I'm not that good at what I'm doing yet, right? I haven't won a grant as a PI. I feel like I'm wasting their time. I feel like I'm putting in all this effort and I'm asking them to review things and I'm asking them to buy in on this idea and put time to put all their supplementary materials together. And then we don't win it. And it's a hard it makes me feel guilty when we don't win it. Yeah. Something that I've personally been struggling with a bit. Hmm. I, I mean, it, I, I feel like the, the, I don't know, the neurotic side of me agrees and say, Oh yeah, I do that too. But I, I kind of doubt if that's how they perceive it. Like, like I'm, I'm a far cry away from a senior faculty. I'm still very much learning the faculty life I feel, but, um, but like the times I've been approached by either junior faculty or grad students or someone that's trying to write a proposal or do something, I feel like frequently I'll hear, do you want to collaborate? Sure, you know, is my response. And then the question is, okay, what, what do you want to do? And basically what I'm hearing is, do you want to work with me? Follow it up with, can you come up with something for me to work with? And that puts all the work on me. What, what um, I think is extremely positive and quite, I think, rare in what you've just described is you've basically said here's an idea it's already ready what i need is this thing you bring the thing that i've done homework on you i know what you have to offer i'm giving you a thing that's already kind of round the idea is already there i just need you to have this this piece of the pie or whatever um I'll bet that they see that aspect and say, oh, this person's got potential. So even if the first grant doesn't hit, I'll bet they're seeing their time wasted, as you said, as invested in this person will develop because she's got the other skills that will eventually lead to success. And when they do, assuming they're still on your short list of first calls, all of a sudden they are they can cash in, so to speak, on 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 the grant writer you'll become. That's fair. That's fair. I have been very pleasantly surprised by the amount of involvement I've gotten as well from these more senior people. Um, Coming to someone with an idea helps. I mean, that's, as Steve said, that's really the, that's the, one of the most important things. And as he, as he said, I don't think that the time investment is viewed as wasted. hundred percent. No, because I mean, a, they're probably not spending as much time as you are Mm -hmm. on the proposal. So the time investment is actually 
lower than you think on their end, other than maybe a couple calls to discuss an idea um, and maybe a little bit of writing that they give you to put into it. Um, but so the investment's pretty low on their end, but the potential return is quite high because, you know, planning grants could turn into something much larger, um, afterwards. So it, it, they're thinking long-term investment. So I, I wouldn't feel bad about that at all when you don't get it. That's fair. The other thing I think I've learned a lot of is, you know, not to compose your team too quickly. Mm. You know, I started reaching out to mm. people and my idea evolved as I reached out to people. And all of a sudden I ended up with a little bit of an odd mix that, you know, if, if maybe I had been a little bit more strategic in who I reached out to first, I may have had a team that looked a little different. And I'm not saying that the team I have now is not going to succeed. I have faith in the team that I have now. But I think that I onboarded in the wrong order. Mm -hmm. That is a great comment. Yeah, uh, 100% because I've, I've been there, honestly. I, I've never mentioned it on, on these calls, but I, I definitely, uh, it's definitely something I just always take for granted. But I, I found myself in a position where you start forming that team, like you say, and you find someone maybe who's a better fit and you're like, oh, I kind of want this person. And so you kind of add them and then you're in a spot where you're kind of wishing that you, you would have not invited someone else and because now it's overloaded with people. Now I've got eight people on a job that needs three people. Um, and it becomes really hard then because what do you do? Do you tell them, uh, oh, you know, I'll, this guy's a better fit. I'll get you on the next project or, you know, how do you let someone down or let someone go? And I have not found a solution to that. So if anyone has a good idea on how you move people off a project as it develops, you know, I'm open to suggestions on that one. Yeah, I don't know on that one either. I, th ever... That almost seems like, though, if if you get the project, then that's a great problem to have to deal with, you know, because then, then you have the money. to. Right. I feel like more likely it would be that's what leads to not getting this one. And then at least with a lot of the federal agencies, there's there's a cycle and it, it returns. And so maybe it, you do a, a, some version of a rinse and repeat on it, but but modify, you know, that team for the next the next go round whenever they have it. Yeah, I mean, what, what I was thinking of was um, you had too many people. OK, maybe the idea changes. Um, one thing I was toying with was breaking the idea into smaller proposals, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay, I've all of a sudden, oopsie, you know, assembled a team of eight people when I really only need three. Um, maybe this proposal has grown beyond the scope of what I originally intended. And now it should actually be perhaps two or three different proposals, which yeah. I can then chop the team in half and say, you know, four people on, on each proposal. And that may make a little bit more sense. I don't know. Haven't tried it yet, but. Yeah. What That's I like about sense. that proposal that you've made, Brian, is that it doesn't require you to say kind of thanks, but no thanks to someone when you're right. starting up, which which I don't know if you both felt this way, but I certainly felt like I I wanted to be a good sort of a good citizen professionally in, in my little bubble where I work. So I, it's sort of like, how do you not um, burn bridges? Because you don't know when you're going to want to work with that person that even if you don't right now want to work with them, they might be the perfect fit for something a year from now. So you certainly want to keep the relationship positive. I think that at least where I'm at in my first first year into my first semester, those relationships are the most important thing that I'm building right now. And yeah. I wouldn't risk them for anything. 
Yeah, I, I mostly did a, a similar thing starting out, and I, I, I tend to be fairly happy that I did. Even if a lot of them never turned into formalized, we're working together relationships, a couple of them do, and you don't know which couple of the dozens of people you interact with are going to be the critically pivotal relationships. But, but that's that's just the nature. You take you you know you cast a wide net, and whoever ends up being that perfect collaborator, nurture that professional relationship. So it makes sense. And academia is small. It's really yeah. small. One of my collaborators on this proposal is somebody that my advisor, Brian, approached for a collaboration while I was still a grad student. And I didn't know that until after the fact. Mm, yeah. It's a small community. Yeah, it really is. So I'd be curious to hear a little bit more then about uh, the one other thing. I don't, I don't know if, you, if, if you're comfortable talking about it, um, but we, I kind of brushed over. How do you get success this first semester as a new faculty? Tell us a little bit about... How did, because you ended up getting some some dollars coming in. Um, I'm not asking necessarily for the specifics of the project, but how do you organize that? How do you get involved in that? What's the setup to get uh, partnered with someone like that? I got lucky and I, um, I was a tag along. Quite frankly, I was a tag on, along. My, this was one with a coworker and there were a bunch of very small, they call them synthesis projects out there. A very low dollar amount, but a lot of them. So we formed, we had a call uh, with the entire little research group on one of those meetings that I told you about a little bit ago. And we went through and said, does this topic interest you? And the people who said yes, submitted a proposal for it. But a proposal is more of a letter of interest. It's like two pages okay. where you sell yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's not a big lift to make these submissions. So mm -hmm. I think between all of us, we went after like 12 of the 18. Okay. And brought in, well, the gentleman who I tagged along with, he brought in, I think, two or three this round. Oh, wow. And he okay. was, it, he's always been very successful with this agency. Uh, okay. He knows how to talk the talk and walk the walk. <laughs> and I tagged along. It's his area of specialty. But what I have to bring to this project is time. Yeah. And I was even going to say, because it would seem like based on the way you're describing it and what you said a few minutes ago of the, the feeling of guilt or, or need to perform that you're not wasting, it would seem like the combination of those would make you want to be really supporting it in some way. Did you feel like you had the background or the skill sets to support or like what what did what were you doing to help or contribute to it? Was it right no, in, in line with your depth or? yeah? No, I, I, honest to goodness, I was a tag along. So this was <laughs> not an area that is my specialty, but he was going after so many. And this one was with somebody from private industry and he had other things. He, he's a very successful researcher, had other things coming in and he just realized he didn't have the capacity, but was relatively confident we'd win it. And I think he was supporting me to help me get my foot in the door there. Because that's what I need is a foot in the door. Yeah. And once I start meeting with these people and showing that I can do this work, then I'll be able to take my experience with them and orient it towards my field. So, like I said, I'm offering him time. I'm offering him a load off. And and that's that's what that's I bring. Smart. It's not an area of expertise. Still counts. That still counts. Yeah, that's that makes a lot <laughs> of sense. I, and. And what you're saying, I think, will resonate with a lot of listeners who are starting out because, like you, they're not going to have some portfolio of successful grants they've landed. So so that is what you have initially. So you've got good preparation through what you've done in your PhD, 
but then time. I mean, that's that is what you bring. So I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it's hard too because my cohort, the people who started in the year, my year or the year before me, have academic experience before this that they you know left and went to industry and came back so my first year is not their first year even though it kind of is yeah i had the similar situation when i started and and it's it's a a sort of a tough world well for uh, brian you were in the same situation too this was your first faculty spot i mean you had industry experience but but as a faculty position this was your first spot where you landed and part of the challenge i think we hit is you're right, Katie, what you're saying, that does impact the expertise they bring and the, the background they have. But at the end of the day, for the kind of promotion and tenure process, doesn't matter, right? Like you you still have to, you're, you're all still kind of competing in terms of the uh, more or less same set of standards that are going on. And so that that can be a sometimes a daunting uh, feeling. Absolutely. I feel a need to get there a lot faster. Yeah, right. Well, I think you're doing the right stuff in terms of proposals. I mean, everything you're saying makes a lot of sense. Maybe we can shift and talk a little bit about the uh, the writing and the output. So you've got some some dollars in the door. Clearly, you're going to be having some data in yet. I don't know if that happened yet, but that's coming. What have you been doing thus far in terms of uh, producing publications or data or prepping for publications or whatever? What, what has been your strategy for sort of your uh, academic output? I've been grant writing um i i actually something i want to mention with that is i was fortunate to end up at a university sorry to go back to the previous topic but i was fortunate to end up at a university that is really supportive and provides a lot of resources for their new faculty and i was especially interested because i joined a center that we have here at our institution and they hired a grant writer for me to help me get through my first NSF proposal because they aren't, they're a very applied research group and NSF's outside the scope, but the topic I'm proposing on falls within that center's area. So they hired a grant writer for me, which has been instrumental to my growth as a uh, grant writer, at least from what I know now, right? Ask me again in six months and we'll see what I think of this grant then. <laughs> But they, I would encourage any new faculty to invest in, you know, 20 hours, just somebody to challenge your ideas in a way that a a panel would, because you're too new and you don't know what they would think. And you're going to get feedback a lot quicker. And you're going to be able, like, literally, I feel like what I found out from this grant writer, I would have found out in a year when I finally got my comments back from this grant. So I would strongly encourage that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, the other the other thing, you, you just gave me a thought based on what you're saying, but may be beneficial for someone listening, or, or for you if you haven't already done this, Katie. If you are applying to a funding agency that takes reviewers that are anyone in academia, right? So federal funding agencies like National Science Foundation, they will, will do this uh, frequently. If you haven't already expressed interest in a call that you're probably not applying to, but maybe could in the future for being a reviewer, I would. Because in the same thing you just said that this uh, this grant right this grant supporting um, writer kind of questioned your ideas like a panel would, I feel like getting a role as a panelist is super instrumental too. So if you haven't already done that, you may want to look into that. That that may help as well. That's a great idea, Steve. Steve, did you get on a panel before you submitted? 
proposal, uh, or did they only invite you after you submitted one? They only invited me after I submitted one. Although, in acknowledging my own failure on this, I don't think I approached a program officer until I had gotten a rejection on one. I don't think I gotcha. knew that that was a thing I could or should do. I was a little... I don't know, a little scared to be honest. I just didn't, it just felt like there's this yeah. big machine of NSF with a bunch of smart people and, and I'm not one of them yet, right. and it, which was dumb. I mean, I should have just, I just, whatever, send in your resume. Worst case, they can say is no. Um, and I feel like I should have. Did you, did you get on one before or only after? Uh, only after and really only after I got one. Mm, yeah. So I think it was one of those things where, okay, they wanted people who were successful in this call yeah. to then review subsequent proposals to the same call. Because they kind of knew, okay, these guys know how to write to this and they know how to say what we need to say in order to get funded here so they know what they should be looking at. And, and I guess it made sense from their their point of view to go to the successful writers yeah. um, to do the reviewing. But yeah, I, I definitely, having been on that panel, wish that I would have done it sooner yeah. so that you can just see that thought process just to see what reviewers say. Like, what are the like deal breakers Right, like what what will kill you versus what is a minor issue that kind of gets swept under the rug because you have a good team and they'll just trust that you'll figure it out. Yeah. Right, like that would have been helpful. Yeah, to know. So. Although, kind of like Katie, what you said earlier, like even if you haven't gotten funding, I think the unique value you bring as a junior faculty is time, right? Like you may have a teaching reduction where you don't have as much teaching as a senior faculty. You may not have as many concurrent existing projects. You may not have a team of a half dozen PhD students to mentor. You may not. So so when they kind of put out those surveys about, hey, when are you available? The whole thing is green for you. Every one of these. Yes, yes, I can be. Yes, I can be there for that. I will make this work. Yes. Where, you know, you you could probably have success doing it just based on availability, which, you know, looking back, I should have done that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's accurate. I did want to go back to the question I very much avoided Dodged. a few minutes ago. <laughs> yes. So, sounds like the writing has been in the proposal writing, has, has been the focus. Right. This is a sore subject that, with my actually. advisor and I. <laughs> I'm not um, laughing because I'm judging, by the way. This happens to so many of us. I very much fell in this path. So I'm I'm laughing with you on this one. So it's it's been a it's been a real struggle to get papers written this semester. Um I did manage to get one out that was built off a conference paper, but you know it was rejected. And it oh. was my first rejection that I've had for a paper. And I think that my advisor had shielded me a lot from that rejection. And it was a little bit of a bruise to my ego between getting rejected for grants and then getting rejected for a paper, which I should be able to do. I got through graduate school and it's the first one that my advisor isn't, you know, monitoring closely and I get rejected. Yeah. And it, it was a little bit hard. It was demoralizing. And I moved on mostly, if you could tell. Um, I mostly moved on and I have, I have two more papers that I want to get out for my dissertation and the, the balancing of all of the writing that I do is just, it's difficult. These grants have deadlines and people relying on me to volley it back and forth a couple times before it goes in. And, you know, I've now got this demand of classes and, and papers don't have deadlines. Yeah. And I had an mm -hmm. internal deadline for myself and I came nowhere near hitting it because writing these grants took so much longer and they had to get written. 
you know, and this paper still has to get written. I need it to go out because I need papers published to get tenure and my advisor needs my papers published to get tenure and they're important, but somehow they, I'm having a lot of trouble making them a priority. Wait, I think part of the challenge too is is just everything's a priority. Like, like what do you, you know, we talk about the the different levels of teaching, research, and service, mm-hmm. and and like my university's you know forty five, forty five, ten, and different universities are different. But that's kind of a fantasy. Like, it's really each one of them is a full time job. Like, it's a hundred percent research, a hundred percent teaching, maybe not a hundred percent service, but still more than ten percent service. So it's just it's just like a matter of. How do you deal with it? Because class is tomorrow. I have to be ready. And the proposal is due Friday. It has to be in. And as you say, papers don't have deadlines, which then can sometimes be the thing that gets pushed off tacitly because you say, well, the other two have deadlines. I got to be ready to teach. Got to be ready to submit this proposal. Okay, delay on the paper. And I think I have a little bit of post-dissertation traumatic stress disorder. I, I don't think I know this one. <laughs> how, do, how does this one work? <laughs> I open it and I just go, oh, I don't want to. Oh, you know? yeah. You don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. I cringe thinking about having to go back to it. Yeah. It was because you already know what you found. So the idea of rehashing what you found and redefending it and representing it is just like, I'm over this. A little bit. And, and yeah. these new ideas I'm exploring are fun and new and, you know the reward feels higher. Yeah. So I have managed to get a couple conference abstracts out, which means I now have to get conference papers out. And I have an undergraduate student that works for me. And I don't know if I mentioned earlier, but I'm taking on a graduate student in spring. So hopefully, you know, some of this background research I do for grant writings and, and the papers that I need to write, hopefully some of that can, the load can be spread out a little bit. Yeah, sure. Which may, maybe that this is a perfect time to transition to that point. I mean, I, I think what you're doing aligns at least with the model I've followed very closely of getting my grad students or, or undergrad research assistants, whomever involved in the writing process. Can you tell us a little bit about how has your strategy been for recruiting either internal or external students? What have you been doing to try to find other students, especially given the challenges you talked about in the beginning of the podcast? So my undergrad was not intentional. He's been amazing, though. He was in my class and expressed an interest, and it suits him. It suits him. His research area is a little bit different, but it sort of tangentially relates. So he's doing that tangential stuff, and I'm advancing forward, something I wouldn't be advancing otherwise. So that's been excellent. As far as recruiting graduate students, also, I hope he stays for grad school, although I'm not sure if he will, but I'm really hopeful. Um, I, fe- I feel like I, I don't mean to interrupt, but but because uh, this relates to what I've seen, too. I tend to think you talked about a lot of our grad students are international, which tends to be true. I kind of think we don't do a very good job of advertising to our, our undergrads, which happen to be more U.S. based students, that grad school is an option. It's like they see this clearly defined path. I do this. I do this. I get a degree and I have a paycheck. I'm in industry. And as you point out, some of them are really good fits for grad school. So I, I think what you're doing makes sense. And let him try it out. If he likes it, he uh, can... Well, okay. You don't think, Brian? So, well, I mean, this is a and this is a, a kind of ongoing debate that, I don't know, we have internally on our end as well. Okay. But I think specifically in construction, right? You go through and you get a, a bachelor's in, in construction or some construction-related field, right? It's pretty easy to get 
a decent paying job. Mm-hmm. So you could be making 60, 70, whatever, right out of school. Yeah. Um, and so I think the value proposition of graduate school, perhaps a, a master's degree or something, is considerably less for someone who comes from a construction management or construction engineering background because they're giving up quite a bit to come back and do that when, you know, if all they want is a, a special skill, like they want to learn, you know, more about BIM or they want to learn more about, you know, lean construction, many of these companies have departments within them where they could go and ask to transition their time and let me work here for six months and, and pick up that skill. So I think the the value proposition for people who have done construction management or construction engineering undergraduates is fairly low. And so I, I've, we've had a very hard time you know, convincing bachelor students um, to carry on into graduate school. Yeah. Just simply for that reason, because the, the economic prospects of it are... We have too, but but I mean, I guess I would say like, I, when I think of the, the students I've worked with who've been the best fit, I think for those individuals, money was one of the least influential um, factors in their decision making. I mean, we all need enough that we need to survive. So I, I'm not suggesting sure. that they shouldn't get paid. What I'm saying, though, is for most of them, I think if I would have asked them, why did you do this? It, money w- would have been factor 10 or 15 or 20 on their list. And much higher would have been like, I just thought it was cool. or I thought this was exciting. Or I was I wanted to travel or I wanted to do whatever the other sure, ancillary sure, sure. benefits so, are. So I don't I don't doubt that, you know, I, it's not you definitely get a handful of folks, right, who want to keep going. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's typically not enough to sustain an entire graduate program. I mean, I oh, don't, I don't yeah, think yeah, you yeah. ever find I, that many students I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. who want to do that because of the opportunities that they already have with a bachelor's degree. Yes. But we I, get a lot more of, from people from architecture or um, civil engineering who want to come in and, and do a master's in construction management to get the that aspect of it. Yeah. So people who don't come from that construction background, we find much more of those types of folks want to come and get to graduate school for for construction management degree. Yeah. No, I, I get your point. I think I think that makes sense. For my so class, you found a student. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So so I have an undergrad class that does project management. I've got nine TAs for it, and I've been trying to recruit those undergrads to come to grad school, and I think I finally convinced one, but she wants nice. to do environmental engineering, which is not what I do. But <laughs> I think she's going to grad school. A little appreciated over there. Yeah. Um, but the the other recruitment, that's the hard bit. The, you know, finding finding graduate students. And so far, I've looked in our, our pool. And I started in August. I wasn't ready to take a grad student on in August. Well, I started in July. But either way, I wasn't ready to take a graduate student on and the pool of applicants for spring is a lot smaller. And I was fortunate there were a couple good options in there, but it's it's hard to discern from numbers on a page if a student's going to be a good graduate student or not. And I'm really excited for uh, the woman who's coming to work with me. But, you know, the way that I recruited just going through our applicant pool very much limited who I could find. And I think that's okay because the person I'm finding really wants to come to Iowa. They know that Iowa is a place they're willing to study because they put in the effort to apply. And in our particular location, it it is a little bit more difficult to recruit people because who wants to live where there's a polar vortex? (laughs) I mean, 
and I'm from the South. I've never lived in snow. I didn't want to come to Iowa, but the group of people was so amazing here, but that's a really hard thing to sell to people who just get to talk to you once for an interview about grad school. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned something in there that, that I resonates with me, at least you had said, you know, when you look at the applicants and you see the numbers, I'm thinking GPA or GRE scores or whatever, I kind of think those are not always the best indicator. And it's interesting because a lot of times those are the first things a prospective student wants to volunteer of, I got this GPA, I'm, I'm on this. And I often tend to think the performance that makes for a really successful undergrad is kind of not exactly the same as what makes for a really successful grad student. So I suspect in the case of this student, you probably set up an interview or something like that. Um, what were some of the other factors you looked at beyond just the numbers that said this person has what I, has the potential that I think um, she could be great? That's a excellent question and one that I'm still learning the answer to. So I Me also too. love. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> but I I know that I don't work well against deadlines, so I'm looking for somebody who has a similar personality because I can't. I know that I can't take on my first grad student to be a procrastinator. Mm-hmm. So oddly enough, that was a that was a core personality trait that I was looking for and trying to parse out if they had internal motivation mm-hmm. um, because yeah. I'm still learning and I need them to be able to keep working through even if the first thing that I tell them is wrong. I don't want them mm-hmm. to quit and give up. I need them to want it internally so that if I make a mistake, they're not going to just throw the shoe in basically those were the two things i was looking for most followed by their ability to think critically yeah which is also a hard thing to parse out yeah because i i'm with you on the importance i'm still figuring out how do you how do you calculate that brian what's your strategy throw the shoe in i think you mean the towel in oh i don't know you throw something in Okay, there's a mixed metaphor. It's, I don't know. What, it's the Midwest. Okay. You know, they, they've got their... Okay, I don't know. Do you do something different in Iowa? We're just heard. over here throwing shoes. Like throwing their Gators. shoe in? That was God. a football reference. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, I see. Okay, that was that was a long walk to get there. But okay, yeah, that was embarrassing last week. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, so the question was... Um, now there's like, how do you, how, what's you, I think a lot of what Katie's talking about would resonate with a lot of listeners and certainly with me. Yeah. You want someone who's dedicated, who will will have a schedule, who will be organized, who will be willing to to push their initiative forward, right? But how do you find that? How do you know if they have that? Um, well, yeah. So, I mean, I think we talked about this in a prior podcast, but I, I like the interview format, mm-hmm. but through a presentation – so give ask them to do a presentation. So if they're doing a PhD and they've they're trying to apply for a PhD position and they've already done a master's, have them do a presentation on their master's hmm. and have them talk about it. But give them like some limits, like say do it in three slides. Yeah, like do something. It should be very difficult to do to take a thirty slide presentation and bring it down into into three or something. So it gives you a some of their ability to communicate, um, but also their ability to meet a deadline. So give them t- time to so say. Let's meet on Friday and it's, you know, Tuesday now. So you have three days to put this, put together some presentation and let's talk about it and have them present it to me in 10 minutes. So we also put some other constraints on it and just see how they do, uh, you know, with some of the ambiguity. So not telling them exactly what to present, but just make it clear three slides, 10 minutes on Friday 
and, you know, see what you get. And I think that shows you kind of how self-directed they are, how well they deal with ambiguity, how good they are at presenting their ideas, um, which I, things that I look for, right? Like, I think Katie's right. I think you got to look for someone who's, who's independent. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I don't want someone who's just going to be waiting for me to tell them what to do. Yeah. Uh, because I, you know, I got a lot of stuff going on. And if you're waiting for me to send you an email to tell you what to do this week, we're going to have a bad time. So you need to come into me and say, Hey, I I finished this. I think it's worthwhile looking at that. You know, I'm going to start looking at that and maybe we can talk on Friday. Like, okay, great. Let's do that. What I also like about what you're discussing is it gives an opportunity to see how they will uh, take feedback. I, I have found, at least in my experience thus far, I've had the most success with students when I can be bluntly honest in my feedback and their response is, well, then I will get better. You know, in the same, almost the same thing we are talking about for taking the feedback from our proposals of saying, well, then we will get better and we will learn from this. If I can get a student that does that, I find myself saying all, most of the other attributes I will, we'll figure out as we go along. That's really important. Every once in a while, I'll give feedback to a student and they will explain to me why my request or the the conditions around my request were in effect were unfair for them to deliver what I asked for them, which is fine. And I'm not even saying that I think they're not justified to have that opinion. But at least for me, that's helpful for me to know. Okay, they're not gonna when when push comes to shove, and I have to tell yeah. them this won't work. We can't submit this. You need to rewrite this section. I will know that's a problem. I wanna I wanna cut cut our ties there. That's that's not a good um, working relationship for me, at least, and how I work. That's an excellent point. Yeah. I mean, you said though earlier, Katie, you're still figuring. I I still am too. I I have yet to kind of crack the code on what makes for the right hire. I mean, the the closest thing I've come to is when I find someone and I say, I could see working with this person long-term. Like they are bright, but they're also hardworking and they're also creative and they're also someone that you know, maybe if it's 1 a.m. before the, the day before the things do and we got to push forward, I think I could deal with this person on a personality level. When they kind of have that mix of just, I think I could work with this person, I find that's been as good of an indicator as any. And that's the most kind of uh, not specific, not really quantifiable. It's very gut feel. But it's just, I, I don't know of a better way to do it. I don't think GPA is a good indicator. I don't think GRE is. Um, I like, Brian, your suggestion. I may start doing something like that of having a presentation. I like looking at what people have written in the past, mm-hmm. um, but it's tough. I mean, I just don't think there's an easy, easy option on it. No. Every case is, is different, yeah. right? I mean, you never get, you, it's, you don't have enough data points to actually notice a trend, right? Yeah. You, you, you're just, every case is a little bit different. Someone's a little better at this or a little worse at that. And it's I, honestly, what you say is probably the best take at it yeah. of who's got the best combination of some of the factors that I care about and let's just go. And may, sometimes it may not work out and maybe it does. Maybe they're, they're trainable and they do really well. Uh, maybe you find out that it doesn't work later. I mean, I haven't had that happen, but I know other faculty have, you know, parted ways with a graduate student, mm-hmm. you know, two years after and they just realized this was a mistake <laughs> Um, we're, we're going to have to do something different here. And the student went with a different faculty and finished, but, um, I mean, I know that kind of thing happens. Mm -hmm. It's a waste of everyone's time, but that's a mistake that's probably worth learning from. Yeah. Yeah. 
One other thing I might suggest that that I learned from others and have started doing, and at least Katie, for you, you'll very soon be able to do this that is helpful. When you find a student that you think, oh, he or she's got potential, maybe set up a meeting with your current students, current grad students, while you're not there. And at least what I tend to do with mine is I say, be brutally honest, tell all the good and the bad about working with me. I will not ask for details, but I will ask for sort of overarching takeaways. What did you think overall? Do you think this is a person you could work with? Um, they have a different perspective than you will. And I've found, at least in my in my experience, I've really appreciated getting that kind of insight because they know the working relationship from a whole different perspective than I, and that's that's really helpful. That makes a lot of sense. Well, great. I feel like we covered a lot here. We talked about getting funding. We talked about uh, trying to get some publications out the door and finding some students to help with all of it. Um, as always, Katie, I want to make sure you get the last word. Any other thoughts or lessons that you want our listeners to know about uh, the challenges of getting a research program started up in the first semester? You're not going to get it right the first time. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that. that is so universally true. But I very much appreciate you sharing your experiences. I know this can be a... Um, especially while it feels fresh can be a tough thing to do. But I, I think what you're talking about will be helpful for others going through it. So thank you so much for being here. Um, with that, I want to thank you all for listening. We will look forward to catching you on the next episode of Profis Error. Thanks, everyone.